Welcome back to another podcast where we are studying the book of Jonah. We are going to be in Jonah chapter 4 this time, and so looking forward to the conclusion of this book. Hopefully you've read ahead. Hopefully you are ready and prepared. Um, We are going to start with a little bit of a review. Um, So remember from chapter 1, we came to the conclusion through our study there and our discussion that there really was a prophet named Jonah, that that was his real name. He was a real person. Uh, that God spoke to him, and that God speaks today through his word. Um, We talked about the fact that God had a call upon Jonah's life. Um, And we also talked about how uh, how Jonah decided it would be better to flee from God's presence. He did not want to be near God's face. Remember, the takeaway from chapter 1 is very simple, very straightforward, Do not run from God's call. Chapter 1, do not run from God's call. Chapter 2, we talked about um, the near-death experience of Jonah um, and how that when he was in the belly of the well or the great fish, that he cried out to God. And we talked in extensive detail about his prayer and how it's recorded there in chapter 2. And we learned from Jonah's prayer that this is really how we should respond to God when we pray. We should respond with thanksgiving, hope, and praise. And remember, the big takeaway from Jonah chapter 2 was simply Jonah's prayer time, or Jonah's prayer uh, to God his prayer of repentance. And let's don't forget, in chapter 2, God answered him. All right? And then chapter 3, our big theme in chapter 3 was 3 and 3. Remember, three truths in chapter 3. The takeaway there was there were three truths, and those three truths are, truth number one, God's call or command does not change. His call upon your life does not change. Truth number two, you, however, must deal with the disobedience from your past if you're going to move forward with God. Truth number two, you must deal with the disobedience from your past if you are going to move forward with God. Truth number three, obedience to God brings salvation. Obedience to God brings salvation and it enables you to share the gospel with others. So, again, really fast, number one, chapter one, don't run from God's call. Number two, from chapter two, Jonah's prayer and God's answer. And number three, three and three, in chapter three, the three truths. Number one, God's call does not change. Number two, you've got to deal with your disobedience from the past if you want to move forward. And truth number three, Obedience to God brings salvation, and it enables you to share the gospel with others. We also talked about in the last um, uh, podcast, uh, we talked about the doctrine of immutability. And we defend the doctrine of immutability uh, in that God is unchanging in his holy character and in his attributes. But we did talk about how that God attempts to communicate 
uh, to us through human language. So there are concepts. If you begin to really think about God as the greatest possible conceivable being, the eternally self-existent one, then it would stand to reason as part of that definition that in order for him to communicate with the creature, which is you and I, we would be lesser because he is the greatest. That's part of being God, is that he's the greatest. So he, I've heard it said this way, he condescends to us, not condescending as in an arrogant manner, uh, but that he comes down to our level. And so one way that he does that is through the use of human language. So when we read things like, um, I'm sorry that I have made man, we call that God's change in accommodation. In other words, he is accommodating us. It's not that he is sorry because the Bible tells us that God doesn't sin. He doesn't make mistakes. That's also part of the definition of being God is that if you were God, you would never, ever, ever be wrong about anything. So there's nothing for God to say that he's sorry for. He doesn't repent like a man does. Yet there's a language in the Bible, and we would call this a change in his accommodation. We also talked about a change in his affirmation, and specifically we talked about the word repentance. That when God um, is referred to in Scripture as repenting, it's not like you and I need to repent um, when you and I use the term repentance, and we're talking about ourself, we're talking about re, uh, turning away from our sin and turning toward Christ, going 180 degrees in a different direction. However, there are places in the Bible where it says God repented. So this is not a change in his will, um, but it is his willingness to allow us the opportunity to change. That's kind of the way I explain that. Remember that God knows everything in advance. He's got foreknowledge. Um, God is sovereign. And, um, and he cares for us. And that's one of the things that we brought out. And then the third aspect of that doctrine of immutability, when we read things in Scripture that seem like it looks like God has changed on something, it's God's change in an application. God's change in an application. So we had accommodation affirmation, and application. So God's immutability, and you'll remember I said this before, it doesn't mean that he is immobile. That is, it, it, when we talk about God being um, the doctrine of immutability, we're not saying that <clears throat> God doesn't move. Um, he's constantly on the move. <laughs> and specifically, I said, he pursues a righteous course. He responds differently to the wicked than he does to the righteous. He responds differently to Jonah. Remember, we talked about this too. He responds to Jonah in ways which appear, appear to be, from um, our view, looking at the scriptures, it's like, oh, well, if Jonah says, yes, I'll go, then God will respond this way. If Jonah says, no, I won't go, then God responds the other way. And that's not true. Um, that maybe our perception, but remember, we are not looking at this from the point of view of the greatest conceivable being, which is God. God deals with each of us according to the way that we can understand and the way that we are living, where we are in time, our culture, 
and all the other factors, probably a multitude of factors that I couldn't even begin to get into or understand or fathom. But God deals with us where we are. Um, It's not because um, of any change in God's holy character or his attributes. So that's a little bit of a review. Now we get into chapter four and the big takeaway from chapter four is, and you need to get this, chapter four, God's lesson to Jonah. God's lesson to Jonah. Wait a second. Do you mean that God would go through all of this just to teach Jonah a lesson? Well, I think that's certainly part of it. And I think that God loves Jonah. And I think that God loves his people. And he does amazing things to demonstrate his love for his chosen people. So Jonah was not aware of God's eternal plan. And we talked about this. Do you think that you know God's eternal plan? And just let me give you a clue to the right answer to that question. No, you don't know God's eternal plan. In this final chapter, we're going to see Jonah is angry uh, with God. We're going to find an angry Jonah. Um, And he knows that God's full of grace and full of mercy. And we're going to see toward the end, and we're going to read the whole thing here. I'm just giving you a little preview. But we're going to see that Jonah would rather be dead. (laughs) And it just kind of demonstrates how stubborn we can be at times, how stiff-necked we can be. Um, You know, he... (laughs) He would rather be dead than to see God save these brutal, disgusting, wicked, pagan, uh, any other word you can think of, Gentiles. Um, And in these final verses, it's where um, one finds the true lesson of God's sovereignty. You know, God is sovereign over all things. He's even sovereign over Gentiles. God gives mercy to whom he will, and I made reference to that in an earlier lesson. And how sad it is that God's prophet had more pity on a plant than he did for 120,000 children. And I know they were children because here, and we'll see it in a minute, they didn't even know the left hand from the right hand, it says. And the livestock of the country, there were livestock in that country, and uh, Jonah didn't even want them (laughs) to have the mercy of God. So, as Jesus communicated to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, God's plan was and always has been international in scope. So, let's begin reading now Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents 
from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And that concludes the reading of the entire book of Jonah. Once again, a powerful uh, packed chapter. So many things to unpack here. So many things to, to get to. Verse 1. We're going to take it verse by verse. We're going to do the best we can. And, uh, you know, and I'll just confess something right here. It's not in my notes, but there's so much depth here. There's so much meat, even in just the shortest chapter you may find in God's Word. And we're going to dig into it. We're going to do our best. But you will never find the end of the depth and the meaning in God's Word. So I encourage you, even though we're kind of doing a survey here and we're bringing out certain points, we're talking about certain verses, this isn't everything. You could go back and read God's Word. And dear Christian, you could ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he's saying here. I, I strongly recommend, you know, get some commentaries, do some word studies. Um, you don't have to be a Greek or a Hebrew scholar, but... Um, Maybe take a class in Greek or a class in Hebrew if you can. And even if you can't do that, did you know that um, on YouTube um, that they actually have a daily lesson in Greek and a daily lesson in Hebrew? And someone will actually come on there and explain it to you. And so what am I getting at? I'm saying study the Word of God. I hope that, as I always say, I hope these podcasts are a blessing to you, but I don't know everything. And I'm not God. And you might read something and, and the Lord is dealing with you. And so you might see something that we didn't talk about here today. 
So I encourage you just to get into the Word of God. You know, just as I was reading this, and I've read it several times. <laughs> I don't even know how many times I've read it. I've read it a few times. We'll say that. And every time I read it, I, I get something a little more. And so my prayer and my hope for you is the same thing. So just because we're doing a survey um, and we're going verse by verse, I don't know everything. You're not getting everything there is to get. You could spend your entire life uh, studying God's word. And uh, you'll never, like I said, you'll never get to the bottom. You'll never get to the end of it. So I just encourage you to do your own study. So very, uh, very quickly, going to look at verse one. And I do want to talk to you about what's called an idiom. There's a Hebrew idiom here. Um, and the idea of an idiom is something where um, we have them in English. And the words don't exactly mean what you uh, what the definition of the word is. For example, uh, let's say that I'm going to congratulate someone. They've done a really good job. And I say something like, hey, man, way to go. Well, the words way to go don't actually mean, by definition, they don't mean, hey, congratulations. Uh, way to go, um, you know, what am I trying to do? Am I saying, you know, there's way over here and, and you should go this way. Um, is that what I'm communicating? No, of course not. And so in the modern English, you know, vernacular, you would understand that. We would know what is meant by that. So that's not unique to English. That's true of every language. Um, there are things that are said that, um, when literally translated, it, it's, it doesn't mean necessarily what you think it means. So, um, what am I getting at? There are other scriptural references. You can look these up on your own. Uh, and I'll just use two, uh, in the book of Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10, also in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse eight, you will read words there where, um, it's the word is grieved or deeply disturbed or grieved me bitterly. And here you see that same thing when we talk about Jonah being um, deeply displeased. Um, another way to think of that would be he's very, very, very angry, furious, indignant. Um, and as time goes on, he gets more and more angry. The more he thinks about it, just imagine this red-faced, really almost like a temper tantrum, and, it, and just an indignant, you know, flat-out perturbed Jonah. Okay, so that's the picture here in verse 1. And then as we get into verse 2, we get into his prayer. There's this conversation going on, and you actually remember now we are in the third theme of our parallel outline, which is uh, Jonah's prayer. So in the beginning, the first time we saw the prayer of Jonah, it was pious. And it was very, we talked about being full of thanksgiving and praise. And Jonah's looking forward and he's being pious. And he's saying, you know, um, I'm not always going to be in these circumstances. I'm going to worship you in your temple again. You know, God's going to restore me, you know. And here we see um, something very different. In fact, Jonah, you know, even asked a question, you know, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Question mark. Well, he's not really asking God a question, is he? He's 
he's more like he's making a statement. You know, this is what I feared you were going to do, God. Way back when I was in my own country, I knew you were going to save. I knew you were going to come over here to these Ninevites and you were going to save them. I did my very best to do what you told me not to do because I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you were going to forgive them. <laughs> you know, another way you could say that is, I knew you were going to do it, and so I wanted to run. I wanted to get out. I didn't want to have any part of it. You know, and the second part of the verse also indicates the degree of Jonah's bitterness against God's decision to spare Nineveh. Notice that the king of Nineveh was not sure what God was going to do. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 9, he basically says, we don't know what God may do. Let's humble ourselves, sackcloth, ashes. Let's declare a fast. And no one's going to eat or drink or anything. And we're going to call out to God. You know, and Jonah says, interesting here. These words aren't in here by accident. Jonah says, I knew you were going to do this, or I know you're a God of mercy. Jonah doesn't need to ask the question because he knows. But notice that the king is humble and there is a genuine question in his heart. Maybe God will change. Maybe God will withhold his punishment. Maybe God will have mercy. And Jonah's just, you know, I can almost see Jonah rolling his eyes. Yeah, he's going to. That's what he's doing. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm preaching to you. Because he knew that God was kind-hearted. And he knew that God was going to illustrate something here much, much greater. He knew that God was going to deliver. And that was the reason he's been reluctant this whole time. He didn't want to deliver the message in the first place. So Jonah quotes here the confession of faith that we find in Exodus 34, 6. Not as a ground for thankfulness, but as a ground for a complaint that God could not be counted upon to be consistent in punishing those who deserved to suffer. So on your own time, it's a little homework for you. Go look up Exodus 34, 6, chapter 34, verse 6, and you'll see what I mean. We're not going to go into it here, but to understand the passage correctly, it must be seen as a little bit of irony, um, a touch of scorn even. And who is it against? It's against God, who's too mild, he's too gentle. And he doesn't support the prophet by destroying Nineveh. <laughs> and I keep laughing because I just am imagining this, you know, almost like a little spoiled little boy who's not getting his way. God, <laughs> destroy him. <laughs> but I know you're not going to because ugh, you're so good. You're so kind. So, and there's a number of passages in the Old Testament which echo the wording of Exodus 34.6. You can look at 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, Joel 2.13, Nehemiah 9.17, Psalm 145.8, and there's many more. Do your own study and dig those out. But these verses show that Israel was familiar with a confession of faith and God's proven mercy. In verse 3, you get to this part where 
Jonah is basically saying, I'd be better off dead. (laughs) I'd be better off dead. So why do you think he would make such a statement? Well, the answer is because he feels his obedience to God has cost him the satisfaction that he would have enjoyed in seeing the destruction of Nineveh. When you get down to this, it's about selfishness. It's about vengeance. You would think that after all of this, that Jonah would be totally broken before God, but he actually asked God to kill him. Now see, that's that's a level of stubborn, that's a level of just digging your feet in. And notice that even though this is God's chosen prophet for this time, notice the flesh. Notice that the old nature continues to resist the display of God's grace. So it's um, it's really something to think about and consider for your own life. So guys, we're going to stop right here. I'm going to take a break and we'll come back for Jonah uh, chapter 4. We're going to do part 2. And we will be done with the book of Jonah. But we're going to stop here at verse 4. And we'll pick it up there. Until then, God bless you. And may this be a blessing to you. May it challenge you. And may you grow in your faith. Amen.